is our vignette recording for the first unit on the Age of Absolutism. Today's vignette is on Louis XIV and the Fronde. The Fronde was a rebellion against Louis XIV by the nobles in France during the 18th century. The reason Louis XIV is such an important and useful example for a vignette on the age of absolutism is because he symbolized the absolute monarchy, not just in France, but for all of Europe. So in this vignette, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the story of this extraordinary king, Louis XIV, and the age that he personified. Louis XIV was born in 1638, fairly early in the 17th century. He reigned from the age of five in 1642 until his death in 1715, an extraordinary length of time. And he personifies the 17th century mindset, that is, the ideas that people had at that time. We've already talked about how the age of absolutism, or the 17th century, was all about control, all about imposing order on a chaotic and disorderly society. And what was modern about this was that people thought that human institutions could impose order on the chaos that exists around them. That's a very modern view. And, of course, Louis XIV is also famous for creating the first absolute monarchy, which simply means that he centralized the power that existed in the French government in his own person. He created a centralized government. Well, now, of course, we today have a centralized government. It's not a monarchy, much less an absolute monarchy. But what we don't tolerate any more than Louis XIV did is private armies competing with the government's army. And in that sense, we can compare our government to the government that Louis established. Because although there wasn't that much power in the 17th century to begin with, what absolutism means is that the king concentrated whatever power there was in his own government, and in this case, his own person. Now, the Fronde, as I said, was a rebellion against the young king. Louis was a child in the 1640s when the nobles tried to gang up on him and uh, basically order him around. He was exiled from Paris by a mob of nobles, and this kind of introduced a sort of PTSD in the young king. Eventually, not so many years later, he would return to power, and as an adult, he would never forget the Fronde. And his goal from that point forward was to become, not just in theory, but in fact, an absolute monarch. And he largely succeeded. And it was said that when Louis XIV sneezed, the rest of Europe caught a cold because he was so influential and, again, such a symbol of the 17th century. And we're going to talk about how, in the remaining few minutes, 
of this vignette. Louis was determined to become an absolute monarch, that is, to prevent other members or other people in the kingdom from sharing power with him. And there were ways in which he proceeded to do that. Some of the ways he used were political policies that you might expect. But he also used propaganda in the form of art and literature to achieve his end. For example, if we just look at propaganda, there's a famous painting of Louis by an artist named Hyacinth Rigaud. And you can see that in the picture on the web page where you find this vignette. Rigaud painted Louis as if he was an immovable object, as if he was someone who could not be moved or intimidated. And so art was used to try to impress people. Of course, the art artistry that is most associated with Louis is the Palace of Versailles, which is the home that Louis built when he was king. And Versailles was not just a beautiful place, but it was a, a form of propaganda in and of itself. It was a place where nobles were commanded to visit at least once a year in order to put themselves at the service of the king. And they would stay maybe a week in the Palace of Versailles, and they would have to wait on the king. And they have, would have to perform all sorts of menial duties and they would have to wait on the king to usher them into his presence. And in doing this, Louis was reversing the process that had led to the Fronde. The Fronde had empowered the nobles to such a degree that they tried to take the king's power away from him when he was a child. Louis was determined that there would never be anything like that again. And so he used the Palace of Versailles to intimidate the nobles, and it worked very well. So that was another form of artistry, in this case architecture, that was used for political purposes. In literature, the kind of art we see under Louis XIV is represented by a theatrical work by Pierre Corneille called El Cid. Now, you've probably heard of this. There was a movie with Charlton Heston called El Cid, which was based on the Cornet play. But this is really a morality play that exemplifies the idea of the all-powerful monarch and exemplifies the idea that people have to control their passions. In El Cid, you have a man named El Said. That's his nickname which is simplified as El Cid. El Said is a Muslim word that means the leader. And this is a man who was basically uh, a kind of hero or a kind of action hero who was able to do all kinds of extraordinary things in battle. But it's a love story involving El Said and his lady love, Shimen. Shimen and this, the leader love each other, and the leader's name is Don Rodrigue. They love each other, and they want to get married, but they're unable to get married because of a quarrel between their respective families, sort of like Romeo and Juliet. 
But the lesson is that the leader, Don Rodrigue, must obey his duty to the state. And if it's necessary not to marry Ximen in order to uphold the security of the state, then that's what needs to be done. And Ximen also has to betray Don Rodrigue, even though he loves her and she loves him, because it's necessary for the welfare of the state. Now, we would hope in our modern time that Ximen and Don Rodrigue would forget about the state and just go off into the sunset and live happily ever after as man and wife. But in the 17th century, people didn't have the luxury to allow individuals to satisfy their selfish instincts. They had to control their passions in order to make sure that the welfare of the state was preserved. And that just shows the the extraordinary difference between the 17th century and our own time. But El Cid, in the end, was a morality play that served Louis XIV's interests very, very well. It's important to note that Corneille's moral was presented to convince the nobles to police themselves because Louis could not police them himself. He lacked the power to do so. And therefore, he wanted to provide propaganda that would allow people, or enable people, to internalize these moral lessons so they policed themselves. Now, Louis probably lived too long. He lived until 1715, and when he died, France had suffered uh, inglorious defeat in several European wars. Uh, Louis is supposed to have said on his deathbed, I loved war too much. But we're moving into a period known as the Enlightenment, which would, would not look favorably on an absolute monarchy. And the 18th century would be associated with revolutions. The final work of literature that really embodies or reflects the kind of attitudes that Louis XIV was concerned with was The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas. I'm sure you've heard of this. This was written in the 19th century, but it captures the sensibility of the 17th century very well. We see in the morality play aspects of this novel many of the same themes that we see in Corneille. And there's a real person in the story. It's a story about actually not three musketeers, but four musketeers who are part of the king's guard. And in the novel, they sort of act like Rambo. You know, they run around and satisfy their own individual hunger for glory. And they don't always serve the interests of the state. There is a character in the novel who was actually a real person, and that is Cardinal Richelieu. Richelieu served Louis XIV's father as chief advisor and played politics with religion in his reign. That is one thing he's famous for. Richelieu died before Louis became king. But while Richelieu was alive, he was concerned with the same sorts of things that Louis XIV would be concerned about, namely trying to control the passions of the nobles and also trying to co-opt their power. 
And so in the novel, Richelieu actually kills one of the nobles because the nobles are not serving the interests of the state. In real life, Richelieu did the same thing. But he's kind of a villain in the story because he tries to put an end to the Rambo-like behavior of the three musketeers. But in real life, he was a hero for Louis XIV precisely because he tried to control the passions of the nobles. So there you have it, a vignette about Louis XIV and the Fronde. What you will need to do in your assignment is to find one aspect of what I've talked about and link it to the age of absolutism and show how this episode in Louis XIV's life and leadership exemplifies the ideas of the age of absolutism. And the more ideas of the age of absolutism that you can exemplify in your 500-word account, the higher your grade will be. So the essential question is, what incidents in Louis's life exemplify the ideas of the age of absolutism, and how do they do so? Good luck.